We are back for another episode of the DBSA Wellness Wheel podcast. Very exciting. Yes. And today we are going to talk about spiritual wellness. I cannot wait to interview our guest today. Her name is Sue Phillips and she is from Sacred Design Lab. It's going to be great. But for you first-time listeners, the Wellness Wheel podcast is a monthly podcast Maria and I are creating as a companion to the DBSA Wellness Wheel. Uh, So in this podcast, we will explore each area of the Wellness Wheel and interview an expert on the subject. Yes, and we have already had great conversations so far about occupational wellness and physical wellness. Very fun. Both of those combos. So today we will dive into spiritual wellness, and I'm sure it will be great and a needed conversation, especially at this time. So I have to start by saying um, I was really excited about the idea of starting off our conversation today um, with a question borrowed from an amazing radio show on spirituality called On Being with Krista Tippett. And she starts all of her interviews by asking about the spiritual background of the interviewee. So will you indulge me, Maria? Oh, man. I have, um, do we have eight hours for this? I guess it's only 10 minutes. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I grew up Catholic. I went to a Catholic grade school, um, which largely shaped what uh, I thought spirituality was. Um, And I even went to a Catholic university, which actually, um, well, (laughs) it was not my grade school knowledge of of God Mm. and, you know, universe anymore. So um, over the years has been, especially in relation to mental health, the first time I ever... um, I guess, felt any kind of, of presence or, or acceptance. Um, a part of the universe, I felt some kind of, um, I started to feel meaning with my environment. And I was watching a, um, a sunset, and I, I don't know what happened, but just this overwhelming warmth came over me, and I didn't feel alone. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, like two years later, I got a tattoo of a son on my foot. So it's been a very, I know, it's been a very important part of my, my growth. And so now I I still don't have a defined, I'm still not part of any kind of um, organized religion. And, um, but I do, well, especially right now with um, COVID, it is hitting me in all sorts of different ways. Once I lost my what was a routine um you have all this time to think about why you had that routine in the first place Mm, yeah and Mm -hmm. so i don't know i've gone through several different i think we were talking about this the other day like i started playing guitar for two weeks and then i was ordering too many things on amazon and uh i started um you know binge watching netflix shows that i never would have otherwise done and and it just has hit me that the past couple months how if I'm not conscious of it, how much this spiritual um, wellness affects my my overall wellness. Anyway, Catholic to tattoos on my foot. That is my background, my spiritual that's a journey. background. Yeah, that's a, that's a recognizable journey for sure. Yeah, but yeah, I'm oh. excited. I'm excited to talk to Sue right now, and I think you know for reasons that you mentioned, it's just 
it's a time period where I know that I would benefit from some more forms of ritual and like meditation, but mm-hmm. it's a space that, you know, you have to create time for, and it's very easy to not create the time for that, you know? So. Oh, for sure. Um, this past week, um, there's been talk with the old therapist about, um, are you meditating? Are you waking mm-hmm. up and, and, and mm-hmm. making time for that? And I said, no, <laughs> no, yeah. but I, that is something that I need to do. Well, yeah. In my experience, I was raised um, in the Methodist church and um, I I appreciate that my parents raised me in that church. I think they did it to allow me to feel a sense of community. And um, what I appreciate was when I went to get confirmed when I was 13, the church made me go to different services. So like I went to a Catholic mass and I went to a temple Um, you know, went to a mosque. So I got a kind of sense of uh, what, you know, other organized religions looked like. And I think, you know, that kind of made me not want to get confirmed necessarily in my own church, just because I liked the idea that there were different options, you know, and we don't really have a way of knowing the answers to our questions. So I've, I've kind of been growing as an agnostic, you know, since that point and went to a Catholic college. And and that was an interesting um, experience to take those theology classes and um, argue with the professors. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, so, but now in my adult life, kind of after that academic space, I've been fine with being agnostic because, you know, I see my agnosticness as being open to different ideas and possibilities. Um, so, but it is hard in a time like this when I don't necessarily have rituals that, that help me. And it makes me feel kind of just devoid of anything spiritual in my life. And the time period is so straining spiritually for a lot of us, I'm guessing. Right. Um, and, you know, just to note, I, in my own, um, with with mental health stuff over the years, uh, this spiritual lack of spiritual, or I, I guess to to put it bluntly, if there is an existential um, void or or my, I mean, frankly, my suicidal um, thinking goes up because yeah, why yeah. are we doing this anyway? And right. Uh, right. and if if I don't have some kind of um, practice or ritual like you were just talking about. Uh, it's easy to slip into that place. And mm-hmm. I'm sure other people listening to this um, can relate to that. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a scary place. It's a really yeah. scary place. But we know that the other side, I mean, you described the moment you saw the sunset. Yeah. Like what a, what a beautifully connecting spiritual moment for you that you can rely on to give you meaning and purpose. And so I think it's just about having the rituals in place so we can facilitate, you know, being in awe with the world, like allowing ourselves that, you know, that taking in of what is being human, but that can be really hard to do when when the feelings are coming in with like a melancholy of depression, you know? Right. Um, 
so yeah when 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 the universe feels like it's screaming to me sometimes I kind of want to avoid that um because it's it can be hard to sit with with the intense feelings that come up yeah for sure and you know um those are the times that it's important for me to go watch a sunset or take a picture of it. Um, you know, put mm-hmm. one more picture of a sunset on my Instagram account. And at that time, I think it's so much about feeling there's, there's meaning and, and purpose, but there's also needing to feel connected to something. So um, going on a walk in the forest preserves or just staring at the flowers that I have on my back porch, something that, that is a reminder that there, there is something bigger out there than just, than just my, my head, just all the, mm-hmm. the thoughts that are, are swarming in my head. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, for folks who have the support of spiritual communities, you know, that, that social piece as well, you know, like I said, yeah. I was raised in that community as a, as a young person and I haven't found that in my adult life, but you know, as I continue to really think about the role of spirituality in my life, like figuring out what community might look like too for myself. Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, and interesting point. And another part of my, um, I guess, journey, not just now in COVID, but but beforehand of who who are my my people. I have, uh, of course, you know. Uh, groups of friends and I have um, things that are I'm, I'm involved in but I don't have anything specific to um, spiritual mm-hmm. community and I guess that's not not terribly necessary but a feeling of uh, you know, just again that awareness and acknowledgement of I am with this group and it is fulfilling this mm-hmm. for me it is fulfilling this connection piece or um, yeah I don't know yeah and I think they can look different. I think, you know, I think you can have an individual relationship that helps you kind of check in on, you know, your, your, your spirituality. And then you can have a group. Rel- I, I think it can look differently. I think sometimes I think about this area as, oh, it's just my own thing. It's, it's for yeah. me and me alone. But, you know, I want to explore opening that up to more folks so that I might get some more community out of it. Have you thought about ways that you might do that? Not really. Again, this isn't as, like, this isn't, just to, just to be blunt, not really. But this is just a space that it's easy to not think about. Yeah. And then when you feel, especially when symptoms of depression feel really overwhelming. Yes. You know, you wish, or at least I wish, I had, you know, some ritual in place, some people to check in on, um, and, and I think, you know, being really intentional about how I create that going forward with the wellness wheel as we're learning from it yeah. and we're learning <laughs> from our experts. Um, so much of another message that I've been getting these past couple of weeks is, um, you know, we, whether through therapy or, or however we're, we're learning um, coping skills and that, that if you're in the middle of an anxiety attack or, a, you know, a middle of uh, an intense feeling, the tools can't be used the same way and they're completely different tools, which is why mm-hmm. it is so important to, um, to keep that awareness and have rituals that, um, that hopefully um, can prevent you from, from getting to that 
um, the, the bottom of the well when you have that intense feeling. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's, that has been a loud message for me these past couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's time. It's a time in life when having those, those skills and those tools to kind of get us out of the well uh, mm-hmm. is important. So um, I'm really excited for us to talk to Sue Phillips from Sacred Design Lab about making meaning during a challenging time. And um, I think she'll have some unique ideas for us. So uh, stick with us and we'll get back to that after a quick break. Phillips is the co-founder of Sacred Design Lab and is relentlessly delighted by liberating ancient wisdom to help solve gnarly problems. An ordained minister and former denominational executive in the Unitarian Universalist tradition, Sue is passionate about inspiring spiritual flourishing, equipping people for meaning-making, and witnessing the transformation that happens when we get all up in life's biggest questions. She is part business strategist, part design geek, and part monastic. A graduate of Colgate University and the Episcopal Divinity School, Sue has taught at Harvard Divinity School, where she is a ministry innovation fellow. She lives in Tacoma, Washington with her wife, Tandy Rogers. Hi, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. We are so geeked to have you here, and we're excited for our, uh, our audience to hear you. Oh, it's great to be here. Hi, Maria. Hi, Anna. Hi. <laughs> yeah, so so thanks for being here. Um, in the first act, I let um, Maria indulge me by asking a question in honor of one of my favorite radio shows on spirituality, On Being. Um, and, th- and that show starts with a question to describe your spiritual background, which I thought would be appropriate. Um, would you mind doing that for our audience? Of course not. What a beautiful question. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago, um, and my family was kind of a traditional quasi-Christian church on Christmas and Easter some, some years, some years not so much. So I would describe us more as culturally Christian than practicing Christian. But when I was in eighth grade, I, my family lived in Washington, D.C., and I went to school on the campus of the Washington National Cathedral. And for those of your listeners who have never seen the cathedral, let me describe it as being on a hill above the city of Washington. It is one of the largest Gothic cathedrals in the world. And I would spend time in between my classes wandering around the campus and in the building of this massive gorgeous sort of traditional and modern um, building, but it, it was during the 80s when the cathedral was under construction. And so I would wander around the stone carver's sheds around the outside of the building. So you can imagine all the gargoyles and the baptismal fonts and the pediments, everything that one would need to sculpt and carve that would be a part of a traditional uh, church or or cathedral. And I was absolutely captivated by the artistry of creating sacred space. And I was much more interested in the questions of how humans kind of created that space than I was really in questions of God or what was actually happening in the cathedral. But that instilled in me a lifelong 
passion and fascination with the question of how humans express wonder and awe and how we create spaces and places that reflect that awe. So mm. in a lot of ways, that's the substance of my spiritual background. But I do have to admit that I went to divinity school right after college, uh, where it was my intention to become a theologian and write fabulous books, this kind of trajectory of life mm. that only a 20 year old could actually be under the illusion would ever happen. <laughs> so I went to divinity school, but I did not um, pursue actual ordained ministry for another 15 years when I, when I became a congregational ministry minister. And then my spiritual life kind of took off in a new direction. What an amazing story about um, the church under construction. And mm. what an interesting um, theme to kind of inspire you on this path. And how much you speak to um, human, you know, a lot of times when you walk into a church, it's about God or, or, you know, some other power and, and your perspective, you know, took a right and said, well, no, I wonder how humans um, do this and, mm. and how do we create, I'm so interested to talk to you about how we create those spaces. Cause that's, um, I mentioned in the earlier part of the podcast that I, I don't know how to create this space. I'm not sure how to do this. And I think in, in the, you know, the DBSA wellness wheel, you know, more than, you know, talking about a specific religion, it does touch on those broader themes of, you know, how do we use religion um, or spirituality for purpose in our life to move forward our values, to make meaning and to cope with, with difficult times. So I'm, I'm, I love the way that, that you've been oriented to the world of spirituality. I think it's a great place for us to start mm. our conversation. I just want to pick up on the cathedral metaphor because I think it, it's instructive to begin to look at this question of, of, first of all, what is a spiritual life and where do we find one? <laughs> How do we build our own? I mean, the campus of the cathedral was on many, many acres and if I think about the component parts of that, that physical place, yes, there was the actual building of the cathedral, but within it, there were, there were organs for making music. There were choirs that sung for us to participate in singing. There were gardens all around. There were contemplative spaces. There were spaces dedicated to prayer. There were um, so many expressions of how humans encounter their own spiritual and religious lives. And it's like a cathedral campus is built to help people access however they do, whether it's physical, kinesthetic, through their bodies, through singing, through prayer and meditation, through text study, because there are, there, uh, this was this is an Episcopal cathedral, so there were books of common prayer, but it could be anything. And that's how I think about a spiritual life. It's constructed of many different parts. And so part of the challenge for us is how do we put together the parts that have meaning for us? And then how do we develop our capacity to engage those practices so that we can build something that has meaning for us? And I think that's part of what the, the wellness wheel is attempting to get at is to say that the category of spiritual and religious life is a really important part of overall human flourishing. How you fill in that piece of the pie is a matter of personal discernment, family, tradition, beliefs, values, and a whole host of other things. But what's important is that we attend to that space 
if we want to be sort of whole flourishing humans. Yeah, that, that, um, that foundation goes across the board, no matter what church or temple or um, nature space, whatever it is, it's all coming from that foundation. And finding ways that we can at attend to that. And I think that that, I love that you bring that up because that was the substance, you know, of Maria and I's conversation about this is that we've, we've had access to maybe certain things in our life that were spiritually beneficial, but um, maybe we had questions around putting those things together to, to make more meaning. Well, and speaking of, um, in your bio, uh, you mentioned you're passionate about inspiring um, spiritual flourishing and equipping people for meaning making and, and witnessing that transformation that happens when we get all up in life's biggest questions. Hannah and I love that description. Um, how, how do you go about this? How do we get people equipped for meaning making? And what does that even mean? Well, first of all, I want to say something about what I think a lot of people are experiencing right now, because mm. in a way, meaning is a, is a solution to a set of challenges that most humans experience day in, day out, myself included, I hasten to add. I mean, we're living in a moment that is really kind of emptying our wells. I really literally think of having a well inside me that has a hole in the bottom. I think being human means there are holes in the bottom of our wells you know, whether it's financial pressures or the pressure of social isolation, distance from friends, anxiety, whatever it is that kind of erodes our sense of well-being, um, we're living in sort of unprecedented times. So I feel like that, that hole is, is bigger than it has been a long time. I know it is for me. And at the same time, the things we're taught in this culture that help fill the well I think we're really sold a bill of goods about what those are, namely <laughs> grind culture, consumer culture, that if we buy things or if we work hard enough, <laughs> that we're going to somehow fill, fill that well. And the way I think about this challenge around meaning is that you know, so many of the problems of our moment, social fragmentation, social isolation, loneliness, which is, a, of course, a public health epidemic, alongside all of the mental health challenges that are so predominant, certainly among our listeners, but also in the general population. I think of these problems as being soul deep. And my contention is that we need soul deep solutions for those problems. And one of the, the, the basic keys to a religious and spiritual life is that we learn how to make sense of our lives. We learn something about who we are, we learn something about whose we are, and we learn something about what we're for. These are, in, in, in a way, it's a way of describing the questions that religion and spirituality have always concerned themselves with. When we, when we talk about meaning making, I think of that as being a, a kind of overarching way of describing a spiritual life. And by meaning making, I simply mean the, the, the ongoing practice of making sense of our experience in the face of how we understand the world and our place in it. So it's just a matter of integrating what's happening to us with what we believe about the way the world is supposed to work. And I don't know about our listeners today, but I do know that that is a constant challenge in my life. That it takes time right. and attention to understand, not because 
our lives are problems, but because that's what it means to be human. We, we yes. need and want to make sense of our, of our lives and meaning making is the way we do it. Right. I, you know, as you're talking, I, you know, another thing that we're doing uh, or we've been doing as a, a society is, um, you know, this one thing will fix this one issue. And um, all I have to do is this worksheet and then I'm going to know what everything <laughs> means in my life. And, you know, Hannah and I could create 10,000 and it wouldn't, it's going to, it's a process. And um, every year, every month, a, a segment of time is going to um, illuminate some other part of us and meaning changes as we age that, you know, we go through different, not just because of different things, but learning and um, how, how much time we're in any kind of a practice or, or giving this any kind of thought, how we're um, nurturing this concept or how much are we buying, which I definitely was doing in the bit of, in the, the beginning of COVID is how much was I buying to try to, find meaning in my apartment, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's real. I want to pick that, that up Maria, because you're, I think you're onto something really important, which is that, you know, we talk about spiritual practices and it has taken me a lot of years to realize that by spiritual practices, we actually mean practicing for spirit. Mm -hmm. And what that means to me is, you know, practicing like, like my uh, softball team, you, yeah. you practice every day so that you can develop your skills, understand what's happening more so that when the moment comes, you can apply yourself with your fullest faculties. Um, that's like literally a muscle to build. And that's what spiritual practices are. It's mm -hmm. not so that you can attain perfection every time you do it. It's so that over time you build your resilience, your kind of toolbox, if you will, mm -hmm. of skills that help you to deal with the stuff life sends you. And I like mm -hmm. to think that over time we get better and better at it. Um, but just, you know, based on the, the well metaphor I used earlier, we need to practice just so we can keep that water at a safe level anyway. So it helps me to think about practice that way. You know, so many people think that you know, prayer or text study or singing is something that's better left to the religious professionals and they kind of can't figure it out on their own. This is a notion I just completely reject and invite everyone mm -hmm. listening to know that these practices are within, literally within your everyday reach. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many available to us to, to, to reach out for. I consider it a real kind of birthright of being human. This this giant store of practices that have been passed down through religious and spiritual communities about how humans make meaning in our lives and how we package them together to make a flourishing life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's to me what, what traditional religion has given us is this cadre of practices that we can put together in ways that make sense to us um, to help us feel better about life, which Lord knows is difficult sometimes. <laughs> I love I love the way you reframed practice there for me because I think you know things that I was talking about in the first half I'm you know I, I want to have ritual in my life um, and I think I put a lot of pressure on myself around what that might look like 
And if I don't have a practice already in mind, it feels like I don't know where to begin. But just that it is a process of learning. It is a, pra a process of practice, you know, to get to those places. I find that really, really helpful. It gives a lot of grace mm. to that word for me personally. So, Well, we could have about 10 podcasts on perfectionism, and um, I would much rather be the listener on those podcasts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that, you know, that is something I struggle with, that I'm just going to wake up and do everything right tomorrow. I'm going to meditate when I wake up, and and there's a couple of yoga poses and uh, maybe some prayer at noon and, you know, every yeah. eat, eat an apple at three. I think it's, it's just not, it's just not um, possible to do that. And especially with something so spirituality, there's only so many known things, you know, you're really dipping into this world of um, darkness, not in a, an anonymous sense, but um it just there's so many things that are unseen and part of the practice and part of the growth um, is, is actually allowing this not knowing <laughs> mm -hmm. um, to, at least that's what I'm processing right now. I don't know that that's true for true or true for everyone, but um, so much of it is just being okay with, with this unknown and, and um, letting that be um, guidance in a, in a very strange mm -hmm. way. I'm, so much of the religious world has learned that there is no one fits all practice. Um, there are certainly many communities that require certain formulaic engagement with prayer or text or, or practices. And I, in no way do I want to discount the power of that. But I also want to acknowledge that, you know, you think about yoga, there are like 15 or more schools of yoga. And the reason isn't just because they had different lineages and different teachers. It's because they engage different parts of the body and brain. There are some kinds of yoga that are super kinesthetic, almost acrobatic. There are some kinds of yoga that are much more contemplative and meditative in their, mm -hmm. their actual movements and their practices. There are some that are really about um, sort of really engage the mind. And the, the reason this is true is because different personalities and different personalities find compelling different practices. And so we kind of sell ourselves this bill of goods that if, if we don't do a certain practice, that we've somehow failed on the spiritual scorecard. And this is something <laughs> I really want to disrupt. Uh, because for me, for example, I tried to meditate for a good year um, sitting in mindfulness meditation. And y'all, I was terrible at it. <laughs> I have one of those like really raging brains. And of course, a lot of people do. But I finally realized any spiritual practice that makes me feel like a failure is one that I should not be trying. So I just lay that aside. And now I do other things. Mm -hmm. And I just want to give a lot of permission for people to just keep trying different things until you land on something that is easy. It's not supposed to be difficult. So you don't have to like set some super high spiritual bar for yourself. And unless you can, you know, hold the downward dog for 45 minutes, you've somehow failed. That is simply not true. The world of spiritual practice is yours to enjoy and to, to use for your life. And the question is just trying to find something that pleases you, that brings you joy and that, that works. Mm -hmm. That actually goes along with our, our, our mission 
at DPSA is there's no one path to wellness. Uh, every, everybody has a different path and they're going to find what works. And just because this treatment um, uh, didn't work for you, you didn't fail treatment. You're not treatment resistant. You're, this one didn't work. Um, and let's find something else so that it, it you don't feel like a failure all the time. It's just a it was such an interesting parallel to think think about with this. I just had to mm-hmm. say that. So I know we talked about um, COVID a little bit in the beginning, or you referenced it, but I'm curious, you know, in a time like COVID that feels, you know, so spiritually amok, you know, I think a lot of people are having having a hard time, you know, connecting either spiritually, socially. I, I wonder how we might try to begin making meanings, especially during challenging times when the external factors of the world, you know, make us question um, so many things. I mean, obviously, it's probably a ripe time to ask ourselves difficult questions, but how do we go about making meaning? Well, we probably will have a hard time making meaning until we just calm the heck down. (laughs) So I am all about embracing practices right now that just calm us down. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you all, but I have, I've really had to double and triple down on the things that I do every day just to like literally keep taking deep breaths. Um, Mm. I have a few really silly things that I do every day. Like I listen to the same music when I do the dishes after dinner and it's Nancy Sinatra, Sugar Town. <laughs> Go find it. It is the <laughs> most ridiculous song you've ever heard in your life. But the point is that is a ritual. I do it at the same time. I do it intentionally. I repeat it and I just belt it out. And that means <laughs> it has the three qualities of spiritual practice, which, which I would say are intention, you do it on purpose, repetition, you do it more than once, you do it over time, and three, attention, which means that when it's happening, I'm really paying, I'm paying attention to it. So little things like that. So when I listen to this absurd Nancy Sinatra song um, every evening, and I have maybe a few other things in my day that are similar, that begins to actually build a day with some more calming and resilience factors in it. Notice I am not sitting down with scripture and studying it and taking notes and writing in my journal. I am not down for anything that is very laborious these days. I don't know about others who are listening, but my frustration tolerance is very low. My ability Mm -hmm. to concentrate is not good. I just need to do the things that bring me um, joy and pleasure and calm. And so I'm super focused on those things. And I encourage folks who are listening to do the same thing. What alchemizes silly things like listening to a song into a spiritual practice is doing it over time and doing it on purpose. That's pretty much the definition of ritual as I've come to learn it is intention, attention, repetition. And if you have those things, surprise, you win the spiritual award, (laughs) you are doing a spiritual practice. 
Um, Anna and I are going to create a survey after this to see how many people um, are doing Nancy Sinatra prayers um, while they're yes. while they're doing dishes. Sugar Town. <laughs> um, well, so talking about COVID, which is also affecting our mental health, I guess, how do we gain clarity around our spiritual wellness when mental health symptoms can create a fog around this? Uh, you know, you mentioned concentration um, is, well, I mean, that's a whole other thing is people who who have never had depression before are experiencing some of these things. Um, you know, whether they're diagnosed or not, there's still these symptoms of having a hard time concentrating, irritable, um, et cetera. How, what is the uh, prescription for spiritual wellness? Well, I'm going to offer another triptych. Um, I want, I want to, I want us to think about spiritual well-being as having three parts. One is a sense of belonging. One is a sense of becoming. And another is connection to beyond. So belonging, becoming, and beyond. Belonging is really um, knowing and being known, loving and being loved. Let's, let's talk about that first, and then I'll move on to the other two. So belonging, belonging is really about feeling connected to yourself and to other people. And if this sounds like too high a bar, a bar then I have not explained it right. Because it seems to me, in order to be spiritually well, we need to have a sense of connection to what we care most about and what's happening in our lives. And for a lot of folks, it, it, it's not rocket science to spend a few minutes thinking about what matters most to us. The question is, how are we able to um, integrate that reflection often with other people? This is, the, this is the real key, is that belonging requires us to be in relationship to other people. Yes, it is about ourselves, but it's also about are we sharing what, what our experience is with other people. That does not have to look super fancy. It's not like you have to have some sort of small group that meets on Zoom every three days to, um, to talk about your deepest feelings and experiences. But what it does mean is choosing to have some content with the people you care about that is about what matters most. In other words, it's not just kicking back um, on the phone or on your back porch across the fence talking about um, what our politicians did that day. It means pursuing conversations that are about what matters most to us. It means, depending on, of course, the level of vulnerability we can tolerate, inviting people to hear stuff about our lives that is maybe a little harder, a little deeper, a little more uncertain, a little more vulnerable. So I think what, what creates a sense of belonging is when we can be with other people and when we keep conversations and relationships on, on the surface, it's harder to feel like we have that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. So belonging, the first part, becoming, is, is really growing in our capacity to become the people we want to be. I think most of us need to have some sense that we are um, growing into how we want to be in the world. 
once again, this doesn't have to be on some cosmic palette. It just means that I have a sense of purpose in my life and I, I'm, I can see that I'm trying to make steps towards becoming, um, fulfilling that purpose. So becoming the second part of the triptych. And then beyond is a connection to something larger than ourselves. For some people that's gonna feel like connection to nature. For other, others, it's gonna be connection to God or to spirit, to some, some um, presence uh, in the larger world. But the point is that we feel like a small part of something bigger. So when we can attend to those three areas, belonging and becoming and beyond, um, I think that's where we begin to experience real spiritual flourishing. I mean, the soul needs to experience those things. So the question is, can we build our capacity to, to feel, to feel those mm -hmm. things in the space? Mm -hmm. I'm imagining that, you know, belonging I love how you describe it. I feel like it's beyond um, just a conversation around social life. Um, belonging might feel particularly hard right now, given the circumstances of the world. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the type of relationship you talk about, I don't think, um, I think it's hard for people to have because it does require that vulnerability that you speak of. Um, I wonder if you have any suggestions just around approaching vulnerability that might be beneficial to us if we do it, um, you know, during an already challenging time. Like if there's any ways that you think about, um, you know, the, the state of the world in relation to how we might approach our own vulnerability. Well, here's the good news about the pandemic is that people are more in touch than ever before with what is essential. Mm -hmm. I have yeah. actually found the tolerance for conversations about deeper things to be higher in the last few months than mm -hmm. ever before. It's a part of public conversations. We're talking about fear. We're mm -hmm. talking about um, concern for our physical and mental well-being in ways that we never have before. We're talking about what is the relationship of individuals to the community. We're talking about how we're responsible for and to each other. I mean, there are ways that the pandemic and the, the sort of uprising around um, Black lives and uh, police brutality have given us a new vocabulary for a deeper kind of conversation. Mm. It feels like mm -hmm. what's been revealed is, is sort of what matters most to people because we've all kind of been eroded down to a little more of our essential level. And mm -hmm. so there's an invitation. Um, and because we're, most people are, are sharing a very similar experience to each other within a lot of um, differences, especially around economic impacts and things like that. We're, we have a lot in common. And so that gives us entry points to talking about deeper things. Um, and I think mm -hmm. this is a time that's unusual for, for the moment um, for us to engage each other. I uh, in, have engaged my neighbors. I moved to a new town uh, just a couple of years ago and COVID has given me a chance to ask my neighbors how they are on a completely different level. Are you well? Is there anything I can do for you? If I get in, if I get sick or my family gets sick, will you help me? Um, I will help you. Here's what I can do. These are conversations that are much harder to have outside of these um, crazy times. So 
I, I think this is, yes, there are special pressures in this moment, but I also think there are special opportunities and we simply have to look for those little ways to connect more deeply with each other and to frankly take a little bit of a risk in doing so. Um, but the reward is so tremendous of that deeper connection. Again, just the reframing uh, that, that is really helpful in this moment to see the opportunities mm. for engagement that we are presented with. And you're right, they're, they're unique and there are many in, in this time. So. Through challenge comes opportunity sometimes. Mm. <laughs> so the saying goes. Well, Sue, thank you so much for, for being here. I know a lot of people are going to want to go find you now. And so instead of Googling Sue Phillips and hitting, you know, getting 10,000 hits, I don't know why 10,000 is not my number right now, but how, how can people find you? Well, first of all, they should find Nancy Sinatra and Sugar Town. <laughs> and you should one. dance around the kitchen. We'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. And if people are looking for me, you're so welcome to go to the website of Sacred Design Lab, which is at www.sacred.design if you want to learn a little more about uh, my work and those of my colleagues and you'll encounter some questions that may um, that may help you um, meanwhile I, I wish folks well this is such a such a crazy and beautiful moment but that's life that's what life gives us so I just wish for everyone's um, well-being to grow just like we all are practicing day in and day out to make happen. Absolutely. Thanks, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing um, your words of wisdom with our audience. I know I greatly appreciated this conversation. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. Me too. Uh, so yeah, that wraps up this episode. We will see everybody next month when we click on another segment of the wheel so we can stay well. Thanks everyone.